Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the iOS Lead Essentials Podcast. I am Mike. And I'm Kyle. And this week we'll be talking about clean iOS architecture. Yes, not the clean iOS architecture, but clean architecture as a concept. Right. Because there's not only one, there are multiple ways you can design your system to be clean. Exactly. We should focus on the goal and not just the medium. So first question, what is considered a clean iOS architecture? Well, in a nutshell, a clean iOS architecture is an architecture or a design that allows the team to develop, maintain, test, and extend the features of the app. And doing all this easily in the short and long term. That's it. So you're saying it's not just about the present, it's about the future. Can the architecture sustain future requirements? Can it welcome future requirements? Can it sustain deletions? If you want to remove parts of the system, for example, the business comes and says, we need to remove this part, it's not converting well for us. Is this easy to do? Exactly. A clean design allows extensibility of the system as adding new features or even removing features or changing features. So a design is only considered good or clean when you look at it in a timeline of changes. If it is easy to change the system, if it is easy to maintain a constant pace of changes throughout the development cycle, you have a good design. So good design makes change easy. That's it. It's not only about the current design, the current features, but will it sustain the design? Will it sustain the product and the development of the app throughout its life cycle? So a clean design allows the team to use the resources smartly. For example, it should be easy to add more people in the team and increase the productivity of the team. But if every time you add more people, you make things harder, you don't have a good design as well because you cannot allocate resources as needed. So next question, what are the desired traits of a clean iOS architecture? So first of all, it should welcome requirement changes, which means it should make it easy to maintain a constant and fast pace. When you start a project, six months after the project started, one year later, two years later, you should maintain a fast pace. So if a feature took a week to develop in the beginning of the project, a year later, a similar feature should take a week or less. But if a feature with a similar complexity takes three weeks now after a year of development, it means that your architecture is getting in the way. Exactly. So a clean architecture, a good architecture, will make it easier to maintain a fast and constant pace. Another very important trait is testing and making the testing of the app easier. Right. So what Good architecture will make testing easier. That's exactly right. Because if you can't test your components, this signifies that there is tight coupling, there are implicit dependencies, and overall rigidity in your system. So as a result, testing will be a nightmare. Another trait of good architecture, good design, is that it allows independent development. It allows developers to work in separate features without getting in each other's way, which means you can bring more people in the team and increase productivity of the team. This is the reason why the team a year from now can yield the same results productivity-wise. It's because it's going to enable the team to develop independently. 
This means to develop in parallel. This means two, three, four X the results that you could have instead of working as a unison. So this mm. is quite remarkable to achieve. And as you said, in the beginning of a project, it's easy to see fast results, but as we add more code in the code base, things get harder. So a clean architecture promotes this independent development, this parallel development. And this is what you get at the end. You get features delivered continuously and developed very, very fast. So things don't get harder as time passes. Exactly. It should be as easy to add a feature in the beginning of a project and a year later. Yes. Or two years later and three years later. I can argue that it might be even easier afterwards, a year later or two years later, because you already have the whole structure. You know how the system is being built. In the beginning, perhaps you are a bit more cautious. You're not sure how this... Uh, project will plan out. So yeah, it might be that it can be even easier down the road. Exactly. So if you can maintain a constant and fast pace, it means you can estimate more accurately when features will get done because you don't need to account for things that will get in your way of delivering a feature. The design is clean enough that you can think of the feature as an isolate change. So it's easier to estimate that change. But if every time you need to add a new feature or change a feature, you need to affect multiple modules of your system, it means you don't have a good design, a good architecture. So this change can cascade in a way that it's going to take double, triple the time. That's exactly right. And uh, predictions and time and estimates affect the business. So we talked a bit about how a clean architecture affects the developers, the development team. But what about the business? And mm. these are some of the very, very positive side effects of a clean iOS architecture that the business will receive more accurate estimates. They're going to be able to plan better their vision. And if the business can plan better the vision, they can achieve better results and everyone wins. Exactly. Because if the business grows, the team grows, there's more investment. Yes. And everyone wins. Yes. So next question, how can I design a clean iOS architecture for my iOS app? Well, it depends on your app, but mainly you need to decouple high-level policies or business rules from infrastructure details like networking, UI, databases, and the composition of the application as well. So you need to decouple those things into separate layers. So separating high-level policies from low-level details at a feature level and the application level as well as needed. You need to balance the trade-offs of the decoupling because you want low coupling and high cohesion. Right. So for example, organizing your project into layers, business logic layer, networking layer, UI layer, composition layer, and etc. So breaking down mm -hmm. the problem into small problems so you can solve one challenge at a time you can test things in isolation you can change things in isolation you can extend things in isolation so you can add new behavior without affecting existing behavior which makes your system more open closed open for extension and closed for modification which means the ui will not hold business logic and the business logic will not hold ui logic right just like the ui will not depend on API or networking specific details, 
and the networking layer will not depend on UI-specific code or details. So you can change things in isolation, you can develop them in isolation, you can develop them in parallel, you can test them in isolation, you can extend them in isolation without affecting other layers, other modules. And then you can choose how to slice your features in your layers. Maybe horizontally or vertically, it depends on the problem at hand. But a clean architecture will allow you to modify the slices of your application as needed. That's exactly correct. It's not how you're going to separate your application and what kind of modules you're going to have. It's more the plumbing between the modules, how they're going to communicate between them and how they will remain very consistent in their goal. For example, as you mentioned, you have a UI module and you don't want business rules inside the UI module. You don't want any services or service-related work like networking, persistence perhaps. It's exactly the same for the other way around. And why don't you want business logic in the UI layer? Because you don't want to risk changing a UI detail and breaking some business logic, some business rules. You also want to decouple it so you can change your user interface without having to rewrite the business rules. You can even compose different user interfaces with the same business logic. So you can reuse the business logic with different UIs. You can have a UIKit UI for iOS, NapKit UI for macOS, a WatchKit UI for the watch, and you are reusing the business logic. So you know you have a concise place where the business logic lives. So every application will behave accordingly. Imagine if the business comes in and tells you that they're planning to do a reskin of the application. They say, we're not going to change anything in the backend, any business rules. We just want to have this new layout because we believe it's going to convert better. Yes. And the iOS team says, well, we're going to need six months to do so. Yes. That's problematic right there. Or a year or two years to do so. Or maybe they're going to say, we need to rewrite the entire application. So if this happens, you have a conflict of interest with the business. Because from the business side, they have a reasonable expectation that changing the user interface should be easy. Right. It should be just a matter of plugging in a new user interface with the same logic. Mm -hmm. So that's the expectation that businesses and customers have towards the application. And we as developers, we need to fulfill that expectation. Because it is possible. If you decouple your modules... You can plug in any user interface easily. Exactly. So a change such as changing the user interface or changing the API layer should not demand a rewrite. If it does, you don't have a good and clean architecture. And it's going to cost everyone a lot of time and money. Next question. What practices and patterns support a clean iOS architecture? Well, the application of the solid principles. We even have a podcast about that, podcast number five. Good application of dependency injection. If you're interested, watch or listen to the podcast three and number 15. Also, well-established design patterns. We talked about it in podcast 14. High test coverage with fast and reliable tests. Because writing tests following TDD will exert incentives for the team to think about design more often. You write the test first, you need to think about the design. So the test will exert some pressure on design thinking, which is super important. If you're interested, if you want to learn more, 
podcast number one and number 13, where we talk about testing strategies and test-driven development. So combining test-driven development, solid principles, good design principles, domain-driven design, dependency injection, it will yield good results in the short and long term. But it requires discipline. It's a constant practice. You should apply it over and over. There is no way to create a clean architecture and think you are done. The architecture is changing constantly. It needs to evolve. It's a constant process. You need to be improving it all the time. As there are new requirements, you need to reevaluate the decisions so far and see how those new requirements fit and how you can facilitate the implementation of those new requirements. So you might have to adapt the architecture a little bit, and that should be easy to do. So if you create tiny, composable, and decoupled components, you're going to facilitate those changes. That's why you follow principles. That's why you follow practices like TDD as well. Exactly. And the point is long-term. If you want continuously to see good results, you need all these principles and all these practices. Otherwise, for the short term, you don't need any of these things. If you show something on the screen and the business is happy with it, that's it. You have it. But what happens a month from now, two months from now? Well, that's the problem there. If you don't do these practices, chances are things will get harder and harder and harder. And at some point, you're going to have to stop development to fix previous bugs and defects And at some point, perhaps you're going to stop development altogether for the current version or for the current application. You're going to have to rewrite the whole application. So if you have a simple application, they're going to develop it and discard in two months. Anything you do is fine. You probably don't need a clean architecture. (laughs) Yes. But hopefully you are working on bigger challenges, developing applications for the long term, for profitability, for growth. So... If you're creating software for the long term, you need clean architecture. Otherwise, you're going to have to rewrite the app at some point. Next question. What is the goal of clean iOS architecture? Why should I bother? Okay. Well, the goal is to reduce cost of change, make change easy, and increase the rewards in the short and long term. That's it. So if you are in the game for the long term, for developing software that you want it to succeed now and in the future, and as you add more features to it, you need to bother about clean iOS architecture. Create good designs, good solutions. Otherwise, if you plan to develop an app and throw it away in two months, that's fine. Whatever you do is fine. But that's short-term thinking. The high-paying challenges are the ones for the long term. So we recommend you to bother about clean iOS architecture if you want a remarkable career. If you want to work in interesting and exciting projects. That's exactly right. And we have a quote here by Robert C. Martin in his book, Clean Architecture. And Robert C. Martin says, The measure of design quality is simply the measure of the effort required to meet the needs of the customer. If that effort is low and stays low throughout the lifetime of the system, the design is good. If that effort grows... With each new release, the design is bad. It's simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah, that's it. These are the dynamics we've been talking about. In the beginning, the development is fast as you progress. If you don't use good principles, good practices, it's going to 
start slowing down. Now, what does it mean to slow down? Because maybe for developers, it's not clear or they don't care, but it means mm -hmm. the cost increases every day, every minute that the business can't materialize their vision, then their cost of operation increases. So the goal is to work with the business to achieve its goals, the business vision. Yes, if the business achieve their goals, they can grow and everyone in that business benefits and the customers benefits and the developers will also benefit of that growth. So think of the actors in this relationship, in this process. The customers want a reliable and delightful experience with the applications they interact with or the services they are even paying for. And the business wants to keep materializing their vision, delivering those features to their customers continuously. They want to deliver good and profitable products. And the iOS team wants to collaborate effectively to fulfill the business vision and deliver great products to the customers. And of course, keep improving as professionals and getting well compensated for their hard work. Everyone can benefit if they align their incentives. So we as developers, it's our responsibility to deliver good solutions for the short and long term. And that's where clean architecture fits. It's going to help us keep materializing the business vision and delivering great products to the customers so we can keep progressing as professionals and getting high rewards for our hard work. Simple as that. Next question. How can I evaluate my iOS app architecture? Well, ideally, you need some metrics. For example, productivity. Is the team as productive now as they were a year ago? or a month ago, or a week ago. If things take longer now than a month ago, something is getting in the way. Maybe it's the architecture, maybe it's the system design that is getting in the way. This is an indicator that maybe the design is getting in the way of the developers. As the system is getting harder and harder to change, the team gets slower and slower. You can also ask your peers, are you happy with the current design? Do you find it easy to deal with this code base? Then you need to evaluate the responses. Maybe they're not happy, not because the design is not good, but because they don't understand the design. Maybe they need some training. They need some support. Maybe pairing more with the developers will help them understand the design. But if they have experience, they understand the design and they just hate it. They're not happy with the design. They know it's getting their way. Well, that's one metric you should assess and find a solution to improve the design, to make things easier for the team thus increasing productivity in the whole business. Other metrics, modularity in the code base. Is it flexible? Is it easy to add a new feature? Does it affect multiple modules? Is an easy change easy and is a hard change possible? Can we add features easily? Can we extend features easily? Can we remove a feature easily? Can we replace a framework easily? Can we replace like a vendor? If you're using Realm as a persistence framework, but now the business decided to use another one, or there's a new version that is better, but they have different APIs. How easy it is to replace the infrastructure details. It should be easy. If it's not, there's some coupling, crossing modules. Another metric is testability and regressions. How many regressions you had in the past year, past month, past week? Is it increasing? Why? Quite a question, why? Because maybe the team is not testing the code, then you start having more regressions. 
but not because they don't want to test. It's just because it's too hard to test with the current design. That's why you need to assess how easy it is to test the code base. Because if it's hard, the developers will not test the code. Regressions will go up. So it should be easy to test the code. And maintainability. Do you need big refactorings often? Do you need to stop development to perform refactorings? Because ideally, refactorings should be part of the process. Every time you're adding a new feature or changing some features, it should be part of the process to refactor it. You shouldn't have to schedule refactoring. It should be part of the process. But if you need big refactorings often, you don't have a good design. Right. Or the team doesn't have the skills to maintain the code base. Maybe they need training. So you need to assess all those metrics together. Because the code base is evolving constantly. Every time you add a new feature, every new commit can change the code base. It can make things more coupled, or it can introduce a regression, it can make testing harder in the future. So every tiny change can affect the system architecture. So it's a constant evaluation process. Everyone in the team should be conscious about it. And if they are not, they need training. So to evaluate the app architecture, you need to check the metrics that is impacting the team productivity. Yeah, and all these metrics are just connected. Productivity is a computed metric. If you have, for example, good results in your technical metrics, then most probably productivity is going to be good. But if you have terrible results in your technical metrics, then productivity will suffer. Guaranteed. There is absolutely no way as time progresses that productivity is going to remain high or even the same, not even high. Yes, it's a constant effort. It is. And these metrics need constant monitoring. And not just these metrics, because these are high-level metrics, but other metrics in the code base as well. We mentioned in the past about build times or test times. These are good indicators. They're not like the most fancy ones, but they are good indicators. Because as more code is being poured in your code base, then these indicators will either suffer or the team will find good ways to support the new additions. Thus, the operation will remain fast, will remain smooth. Yeah. How often do you deliver the app? If you deliver every six months, can you cut this by half? Can you deliver every three months? And then can you cut it by half again until you're releasing frequently, maybe weekly? That's the level of productivity you can achieve with a clean architecture in a productive team. So you need both the technical skills and the constant effort of applying them with discipline. Yes. Next question. How does MVC, MVVM, or MVP fit in a clean iOS architecture? And which one should I use? <laughs> right. Well, they all fit in the user interface layer. Right. If you're breaking down your application in modules, in layers, MVC, MVVM, and MVP lives in the UI layer. And that's it. Your application have many other layers. So you cannot say that your architecture is MVC, MVVM, or MVP. No, your user interface is using MVC, MVVM, or MVP to organize the project. Yes. They are just patterns and guidelines to organize the user interface part of your application. Right. And that's it. So you can use any of those patterns. All of them support a clean architecture when used in the user interface, which is what they were meant to be doing. Exactly, because they are isolated, or rather, they should be isolated. That's it. 
So you can use MVC, MVVM, MVP, and achieve a clean iOS architecture. You should check out episode 12 for more on these design patterns. That's it. Next question. What is an iOS architect and how can I become one? Well, an iOS architect is a developer responsible for analyzing and refining the code base design repeatedly, continuously. So an iOS architect should be making decisions to facilitate or accommodate change in the code base, making design decisions to make things easier to change, to manage, to test. But most teams don't have someone with the title of iOS architect. And every tiny change in the code base affects the architecture. So everyone that contributes code to the code base needs to be conscious about design, about how their changes affect the overall architecture. If you have an iOS architect in your team or not. Right. If you have an iOS architect, you will have someone that will be paying more attention to this and helping the team deliver better results. But regardless, everyone in the team is responsible for the system architecture. Everyone that contributes code is affecting the architecture. So somehow we are all architects. That's it. Do you commit code? You're responsible for the architecture of the system. Are you the architect? No, there is no the architect. Even if there is a specialized role for checking and setting the architecture of the system, everyone is responsible for their contributions because any commit can influence the whole app, the app's architecture. So ideally, an architect should also be contributing to the code base. Because if the architect just stays at the whiteboard designing diagrams and high-level guidelines for the code base, then how can they guarantee that the team is actually implementing that design? Right. So ideally, there's an architect guiding the team. They should be pairing with the team. They should be teaching the team how to create those flexible solutions, those clean solutions, so they don't become a bottleneck as well. There shouldn't be one person only responsible for the design. Everyone in the team is responsible for the design and the architecture. So maybe a better question is not, how can I become an iOS architect? Because this position is rare. A better question should be, how do I become good at creating clean solutions for my iOS code bases? Yes. How can I create solutions that help the team be more productive, that can help the business deliver their vision perpetually? And how can we deliver better solutions faster to our customers? No regressions, no bugs. How can you facilitate testing to prevent regressions and bugs and so on? Right. And for that to happen, it's vital for the team to understand the product roadmap. Yes. What does the backlog look like? Yes. If you want a sustainable pace in the short and long term, you need to understand where this product is going. So you need to understand the roadmap. That's how you can find solutions that can solve the problem now and also make the extensibility of the system easy or easier. So yeah, you need to know and understand the product roadmap. You also need to understand the skills in the team. Right. Do they need more training? Do you need more training? Maybe you need to go to your boss and ask, hey, if you want to fulfill this product roadmap, we need better skills in the team. We need some training and every business should train their staff should train their developers, should train everyone. That's the responsibility of the business. They need to provide you the training for you to outperform in your role. If not, maybe you should find a business that cares about the long term. 
because you want to be surrounded by people that want growth. So everyone keeps growing together. Yes, because what's good about trying to set good standards for a clean iOS architecture, but the team doesn't have the skills to perform dependency injection, for example, or write tests first and test components in isolation. Yes, if the team don't have the skills and the business is not investing in them, training them, how can they deliver sustainable solutions? That's not possible. Yes. So the team lead should assess that and find the resources to train the team. That meaning time, money, and space for them to try what they learn, to implement it. So if you want to become a good iOS architect, you need to understand the product roadmap, you need to understand the team skills and help them improve if necessary. And finally, you need to understand the current state of the code base. Where do you stand? Are you in good shape, bad shape? Do you need to improve it? You need to keep asking those questions all the time because the product roadmap will change. You need to understand those changes. The team skills will change. People will join, people will leave. And you also need to understand the current state of the code base and where it's heading. If you want to outperform, outdeliver, and achieve a remarkable career, you should be concerned about those challenges. That's how you deliver value to the business, to the customers, and you help the business grow and the team grow as well. Next question. How can I learn how to design a clean architecture for my iOS apps? First of all, there's no one architecture that solves all the problems. This is a continuous process. You yes. need to be refining it as you go. So how do you learn how to design clean architectures? How do you learn how to refine the design over and over? Well, you need to learn, practice, and execute continuously. So you need to learn from books, courses, mentors. You need to practice, practice, and practice. Practice with some personal projects, practice at work, and execute. Keep executing with your own projects or at work and keep delivering apps. That's how you're going to learn. Now, if you want to learn fast, you need to learn from others. Yes. If you are in a team with good senior developers, lead developers that can teach you, architects that can teach you, fantastic. Just learn the most you can from them. Pair with them. Go for a coffee and ask a bazillion of questions. If you want to learn fast, you're going to learn from others. But ultimately, you need to practice. You don't practice by listening to a podcast. You're not practicing by watching a video. You need to practice. Exactly. And what we teach in the iOS Lead Essentials course is that creating a clean iOS architecture is a computed process. Mm -hmm. It depends on practices and principles that you will continuously, relentlessly apply to your project. We're talking about modular design. We're talking about testing first, applying the solid principles, having good dependency inversion with third-party libraries. So separating high-level policies from low-level details or infrastructure details. That's it. It's almost inevitable if you apply these principles and practices for not to end with something it's going to be considered a clean iOS architecture. And you don't need to get it right at first. Yes, exactly. If you develop a clean, flexible design, even if you get it wrong, 
it's easy to change it, to improve it. It's not rigid. Yes. So creating the perfect architecture out of the blue is an unrealistic expectation because the architecture will keep evolving. It would never be perfect, but it needs to be clean. It needs to be flexible so you can keep evolving it. That's the thing. There is no single blog post or video or podcast or course or book or, or anything. Bo- no, that's going to say, okay, this is it. Even if they do say that, it's not sustainable because things will change in the future and then you don't have written down the solution for the problem that you're going to have in the future. So what do you do? Well, that's why we're saying all the time, learn, practice, execute continuously because you need to gain the experience and the knowledge to navigate in the darkness, basically. When you don't know what the problem is and what the solution, you need to have a process to find that. Guidelines, processes, and practices. Yes, yes. They have been yielding good results over and over and it's been documented in books, courses from more experienced people that tried out many different solutions. So stand on the shoulder of giants, learn from others. That's it. So don't need to reinvent the wheel. But everyone will be dealing with different challenges. You need a solid foundation of the design principles so you can solve your own problems. If you're interested, we have a free series on YouTube with over 30 coding sessions. And you can find the link in the show notes. Next question. The app I'm working on is a mess. How can I refactor a legacy iOS project into a clean architecture? Well, that's not going to be easy. (laughs) A messy legacy project won't be cleaned in a day, in a week. And if you're working in a team, this is a team effort. It's not the responsibility of one developer. Even if you have an iOS architect, that's not their responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility to improve the design and make things better. There is no way a project like this can be cleaned from one person. It must be a team effort. Otherwise, there is going to be conflict all day long. Yes, conflict, low morale. One person fixes a part of the code base. The other one breaks it. Yes. You know, they will not be very nice to be part of. Yes. So it needs to be a team effort. Now, if you have this massive, messy legacy code base, you also cannot stop development and put this refactoring on a schedule and expect your boss to accept it. Right. Because they don't want to stop the development. Yes. They expected this code base to deliver their vision perpetually. Stopping the development to refactor everything is not a good solution because it's going to be very hard to get buy-in from your managers and bosses. What do you do instead? You fix things, you improve things as you go. Yes. You get everyone in the team to improve things as you go. So there's no conflict of interest. And you don't need to stop developing new features. If something is working, leave it there. It's working. If you need to change a part of the system or add a new feature, new code should be clean, should be tested, and follow good design principles. And if you're changing code that already exists, you clean up just that part you are changing. So as you keep changing and improving things, at some point, you will clean up the whole code base. And this may take a year. Don't yeah. expect it to happen 
in a couple of weeks. No. You're going to be improving things as you go as a team effort. So you need to find a strategy with your team to do things as you go, to improve the code base as you go. And it is possible. You can start by reading the Working Effectively with Legacy Code by Michael Feathers. A classic. Or go even further and get some training. Every business that cares about realizing their vision perpetually, they know they need skills in the team. They will be happy to invest in skills if they care about growth. <laughs> That's it. The keyword is invest. These are not costs. This is an investment in the business. Rewriting the code base is a cost. Investing in skills is an investment. Yes. That's it. So if you want to improve the design of a legacy code base, you don't need to rewrite it from scratch. Improve things as you go, as a team effort. And that's it for today. Don't forget to check the show notes where you can find a link to our free coding sessions where you can learn TDD, modular design, and clean architecture. And if you want to go one step further, join us at academy.essentialdeveloper.com. Let us know your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, and we'll see you again next time. Bye, y'all. See ya.